Welcome back to DevCast today with my colleague Tess Ferrandes and Barry Dorans. And Barry Dorans, I, I met uh, a year ago at Leadspeak in Gutenberg, and he did a really, really good talk about ASP.NET and security and such things. So I really want to talk with him. And I, I've been trying to do that for a year, but now I have him on the line here on Skype. So welcome, uh, Barry. Good morning, because it's morning here. You made me get up early to do this. Yeah, it's really great. Are you on vacation also? No, no, no. That starts next week. Ah, okay, great. So, so the last time you tried to schedule it, I was on vacation for Thanksgiving, and then from next week, I'm a, I'm away for two weeks okay. for um, Christmas. As much as I can get away, because I still have to check the emails for security bug reports and react to those and everything else. So I never actually get a holiday where I am disconnected from the world. Wow. Do you like to have it in that way? Never be. Um, it's, I, I don't think it's really a choice. So, okay. <laughs> I, I honestly don't mind because, you know, for most vacations, I'm sitting at home um, and, and just catching up on my reading. So, you know, I sit there with my Kindle on the sofa with the dog on top of my legs and and I read or I potter about and I try and write some sample code or update documentation. So I don't really ever disconnect and that's absolutely fine by me. I get a little bit worried if I don't have an internet connection on my phone for more than an hour. I get slightly panicky as I think a lot of technical people do. Yeah, so uh, what's your role at Microsoft? Um, I am the ASP.NET security bully. So I own all of ASP.NET security. I help out a bunch of other teams, um, the people that produce SDKs around here and some of the some of the, the Azure teams like the Redis team and some parts of Power Apps and things like that. Um, and even .NET Core um, when they need security opinions. So I go around and basically make doom and gloom dire prophecies and then force people to change their code so those dire prophecies do not come true which is great because i just get to tell people to do things and i don't actually have to do any real work myself <laughs> okay and but on top of that i actually uh, all the bug reports that come in all the security bug reports that come through the microsoft security research center for asp.net and for dotnet uh, parts of dotnet tend to end up in my lap so I'm the person that looks at them, tries to reproduce them, and then goes and finds the developer responsible and gets them to fix their code. Uh, but are you alone in this role, or do you have a team behind you? Uh, no, unfortunately, it is just me, which is why every time you see me, my hair is more gray. <laughs> okay. But your shirt is very bright in another that is true. Yeah. My shirts are always covered in flowers. I like to wear shirts covered in flowers when I'm giving talks. Yeah, I really wanted to. Uh, you you had really fun war stories, and I really want to talk about open source and security because now ASP.NET, the next version, is open sourced. How how do you manage that? But uh, Tess, you have been in the support for ASP.NET for several years before you uh, started to work in my uh, in the not department the department uh, DX. Uh, have you any war stories about ASP.NET security issues? In fact, I, I was think, trying to think of one, and in my 10 years of support, I don't think I've even had one security issue. Great. Lucky you. So, good job, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I will admit that I've only been doing this for the past couple of years. 
Okay. But so, so I, you can't blame me for you can't blame me for bugs in web forms. That was long before my time. <laughs> but how is it with the ASP.NET as a cure? Because we have had some really bad or really critical issues. Well, I I, I view them more as amusing than bad, because <laughs> I take I take great delight when an interesting security bug comes through. Um, we we've even had some in the new versions. Right now, we are running uh, what's called a bug bounty program. So if we have security researchers looking at the next version of ASP.NET, um, and especially looking at uh, .NET Core and our new web hosting platform, and they find something and they report it to us, rather than log it on GitHub. Uh, if you find security issues in, in the ne next version, please just email secure at Microsoft.com rather than leave a GitHub issue. Um, because if you report it through security at Microsoft.com or secure at Microsoft.com, I have money. So mm -hmm. if you find an interesting security bug, I will pay you for that security bug. So we've we're, we're paid out one so far. I've got another couple bubbling under that I just need to decide how much it's going to be. Um, they weren't particularly security issues, but they did change the way we expose certain things so developers don't make security mistakes. Um, if we if we got a critical um, ASP dot security issue, I, I think I really want to to hear uh, the story you tell told told that at Leadspeak about uh, about something in at the Christmas or as your at your Christmas vacation and so on. Do you remember what I'm so, alluding to? So Christmas is is a fun time for security bugs because the Chaos Computer Club. Uh, run their security conference just after Christmas. So every Christmas, we're trying to find out what people are going to talk about and whether we're going to get zero date or not, which is when someone discusses a security issue and provides exploitation code but hasn't give us, given us any warning. So that's our kind of nightmare scenario, that somebody's discovered something um, and has shared it with the public at large rather than uh, give us a heads up and give us a chance to patch it. Now, uh, to be fair, most people will report it and give us a chance to patch it, but some people like not to. It's a little bit more fun for them. Don't they um, really want to do that with, uh, with Microsoft as a company more? Well, it used to be that Microsoft didn't particularly have a good reputation with security researchers. I think a lot of companies have gone through this where their first immediate reaction to someone trying to report a security bug is to threaten them with legal action. Now, over the last 10 years, that attitude has changed. And with our bug bounty programs over the last few years, you know, we're, we're finally, hopefully, in a stance where people feel comfortable sharing their vulnerability research with us so we can get things patched and protect our customers. Unfortunately, some companies are still at the let's sue them to keep them quiet stage. But I think you know that's where companies start and then eventually they realize that's not a good attitude and they need to work with security researchers uh, in order to help protect everybody because most people aren't out to be malicious. They find something interesting, they'll report it, we'll fix it, and then they get a credit in uh, the Patch Tuesday bulletin. And that's it for a lot of people. They're, they're more than happy to do that. 
But, you know, every now and again, someone will uh, release a discussion of a vulnerability along with here's how to exploit it um, and not give us any heads up. At that point, all work stops. We have what's called um, a SERP, a, a Serious Incident Response Program, and we all get together in a little room in the MSRC building, um, and we look at how exposed we are, how uh, dangerous this exploit is, and then we pull everybody in to try and fix it and push a patch out as quickly as possible. When you see patches that come out outside of Patch Tuesday, that's generally um, we've discovered something that's either we've discovered something that's under active exploit and it can't wait, or someone has zero data and we need to get things fixed as soon as possible. And how often is uh, this kind of zero days uh, right now? Is it less than it was for 10 years I, ago? Or? I think it's less than it was for, for 10 years, for, uh, less than it was from 10 years ago. Certainly for ASP.NET, we've only had um, one or two, and we haven't had any since I took over this role, which is nice. Okay, because you 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 told about uh, one of the the really uh, critical issues. What what was it? What is with the hash? Uh... I, the hash DOS attack. Yeah. So, is it? Do, do you want me to do the kitten explanation? Because people like the kitten explanation. Yeah, yeah. Which which I will admittedly say that I borrowed from someone else. Someone had explained it on on the internet. Um, using kittens, and I thought it was great. Um, and if you go to uh, my website, which is idno.org, I-D-U-N-N-O.org, and grab the slide deck for the code behind the vulnerability, which is the presentation you were talking about. It does have links to the person that uh, describes it as kittens, and his blog's a very good read. Um, but HashDOS, I should say, is not a, an ASP.NET vulnerability. It is a C-sharp vulnerability, but it's also a vulnerability in PHP, in Java, in Python, and in JavaScript. And so what basically happens is it's the way that collections are created on a system. So if you imagine that you are running a boarding house for cats and you need to put the cats somewhere where you can retrieve them easily when the owner comes back. And so the scheme that you use is that you take the first letter of the cat's name and you put it into the corresponding room. So if a cat is named Alan, he goes in room A. If a cat is named Bernard, he goes in room B. If a cat is named Charlie, he goes in room C, and so on and so forth. So you are basically taking a representation of the name and using that as an index in your lookup table for cats. Mm. And so what an attacker does is he works out how you're taking the the name and turning it into the index, which is a hash. And what he does is he pre-computes a whole bunch of things. And in our cat example, basically what happens is your attacker turns up with 100 cats all beginning with the letter A. And so according to your scheme, you must put them all in room A. And 100 cats in the same room is probably not a good idea because it takes you longer to put them into the room because there's less space. So you put all the cats in the room and it takes a lot longer to put in 100 than it does to put in one. 
and then the cats start to fight and they, they hiss and do whatever cats do. Um, I should explain that I'm a dog person rather than a cat person. So, you know, I kind of look down upon cats. Okay. Although, uh, now that I'm saying this, I'm remembering that you're saying that Tess has two cats somewhere in the background. So I'm now probably not in favor with Tess. So, so the more... The more cats that go into a room, the longer it takes. And then when you try and retrieve them, you have to look through all the cats to look for the one that you retrieve. So that takes an exponential length of time. It takes longer and longer the more cats that are in there. And that is basically a hash DOS attack explained with cats. So, so we got uh, that, uh, was it a couple of years ago or? It was. So that the hash doc, the hash DOS, uh, the original work was presented on the 28th um, Chaos Computer or Chaos Communication Congress, which was in 2011. Um, and the original exploit exploited PHP and Java and Python and JavaScript. And then someone decided they just like to do it on C sharp. So um, when this came in, we had to provide a quick fix and the reason, we, the reason that ASP.NET was vulnerable was because uh, forms parameters and HTTP headers and uh, request query strings, the way that's broken down, were all going into hash dictionaries. And so our method of computing what the hash of the key was, was very public. So someone basically pre-computed a bunch of hashes that res would result in a hash collision. And so when we parsed the, the form and we started taking the, the, the key value pairs out of the form and putting them into this dictionary, uh, eventually we would end up getting hash collisions and CPUs would spike and everything would go horribly wrong. How, how fast was the, uh, the response from, from Microsoft uh, regarding? So this was, this was a little bit before my time. Um, I can remember that we had a very quick patch out within a week. We didn't fix the underlying issue, but what we did do was we said, well, you can put a maximum amount on the number of form fields that you will parse or the number of headers that you will parse. So if you set that to 100 or 200, you didn't get the CPU spike. I mean, in order to trigger this, we were looking at 500 to 1,000 key value pairs. So by limiting the amount that you could put in the dictionary, it stopped the attack. To properly fix the attack, we had to change the hash algorithm that we were using. And that took an awful lot longer because that sort of thing involves the cryptography board at Microsoft, which are a collection of very scary and um, horribly clever people that basically just play with cryptography all day. And so they had to come up with and approve a hash algorithm that was invulnerable to this sort of thing. Um, one of the ways that the hash algorithm works, and it's called Marvin32, is that it takes a key um, that we set when an application starts. So it feeds that into the hashing algorithm. So from one application starts, the next application start the hash value will change. So if you pre-computed pre a bunch of hashes that would crash your machine, they wouldn't crash anyone else's because the hash key is different on every single machine. Some kind of sort value then? Or... Um, it, it's, it's 
it, it is basically almost an a, 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 it's not a kind of encryption key, but it is a key that that uh, feeds in in the same way that you have authenticator keys in HMAC hashing. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's uh, go forward now uh, because uh, it's really interesting to, to to understand more how you work, uh, especially now with ASP.NET is open source. So the source code is uh, fully available on 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 GitHub. Uh, the first thing I really want to to ask you is the the question that has been uh, or. Uh, statement that has been for for no. over ten years that, that open source is more secure because <laughs> you have more eyes on it. Is it so? I would. Oh, now we're getting into opinions. Yeah. So I would say this is this is my opinion. This is not a this is not a Microsoft opinion. Um, yes, more people look at open source, but I think the problems with open SSL have demonstrated that open source is not particularly more secure. The problems that happened with open SSL were very tricky to spot. Um, and you, the people that are looking at code aren't necessarily security people. And security is hard. It can be incredibly boring. Um, it's, it's certainly not particularly exciting unless you're an attacker. Being a defender is not exciting. So. And you don't you know, get you, so much free beer at the bar. Or. I don't. I don't believe so. I think if we had multiple security people looking at code and looking for exploits, then yes, you could make the argument that open source is more secure. But that generally does not happen. Uh, open SSL is a good example because after after a round of open SSL bugs, a bunch of security people did start looking at it and find more. And in fact, um, I believe Google has branched OpenSSL and uh, taken out some of the more dangerous parts uh, because they don't need them. But to say in general, because you've made a, a piece of code open source, it's going to be safer. That's not true. It actually takes the right type of people to look at it and to look at it continually. And that's not true for an awful lot of open source projects. How do you work then when you are... Uh, do you read the code, or how how do you uh, start looking at at the code or a project to see if it has any security issues? Uh, so the way we do it is probably a little bit different than you would do it for an application. For an application, you would go through a threat modeling process where uh, we provide a, a free threat modeling tool where you draw your application, you draw trust boundaries. Um, and then generally the way that things flow between components in your application is where threats will arise and the threat modeling tool will do a good job of generating default threats for you. So you're more interested in the, in the external interfaces in the app? Uh, the, the external interfaces are always what triggers problems. But, well, okay, not always, but 99% is that someone has sent you something interesting that triggers an error in your code. Because by itself, ASP.NET does not make any uh, real security decisions. So the problems that we may have would be in parsing of HTTP requests or within our authorization stack where you're, you're sending malformed requests and seeing if you can steer our code in another direction. So what we tend to do is we will look at each component individually 
We will look at what we're taking as inputs. Uh, we will look at how dangerous those inputs are, what sort of decisions we make on them, and then what we spit out the other side and what's expected. So you read the code then and see uh, how the inputs are uh, formatted I, or uh, handled and so on. I grab the developers that wrote the code and I make them do it. It's okay. not much. There's not much. It's not much good in me reading the code because they're changing it every day. If you look at the the number of uh, change changes that go through GitHub every day, and I get an email for every single one, I'm getting four to five thousand emails a day minimum. There is absolutely no way I can keep on top of that. Even if I had a team, there's no way that they could keep on top of that. It is an awful lot of work. Plus, it can be quite hard to get the context of a, a code module from the source code. The developers know it best of all, so we make them go through the threat modeling exercise. We explain what the threats will be, what they need to do, and then they go away and fix it. And then hopefully they keep that awareness with them. And we do this on a regular basis. Every time a feature is added, we'll go back and we'll look at it again, and we'll update our, um, our data flow diagrams and our discussions of threats. So if, if for example, I do... Uh... I, I add the feature in ASP.NET and I push it up to my uh, repository in GitHub. And what was the process that you will take my code and include that in, in the main repository for ASP.NET? Are you part of that process then? Or is it? Yes. A, uh, mm. <laughs> so if you want to contribute a pull request to ASP.NET, and a lot of people do. Uh, generally what will happen is the person that is reviewing the pull request will make a decision on whether it's going to touch anything security related or not. So things that come through for Kestrel, our uh, web server, generally get looked at very carefully. Things that are fixing spelling mistakes in documentation generally do not. They don't, they don't affect me. So it's up to the person uh, managing the pull request to pull me in as and when they wish, and everybody's very good about that because again, there are so many pull requests, I just can't keep up. So, um, ha have you seen anyone trying to get some Trojan or something like that into the code? Uh, Try to not, trick you? Not that I am aware of. You will notice that I can't say yes or no for sure, uh, but I haven't discovered anything. Is that so a, a real threat, you think? I, I. Do not know. Um, there's a very funny story um, back in the, the Unix days. Um, I, I'm going to have to look this up now. Um, so, yeah, Ken Thompson, who did an awful lot of the, the, the original work on Unix, um, wrote some of the original compiler stuff. And, and he put a back door in the compiler so it realized uh, if you were compiling the login executable. And so what it would do is it would put a little back door in there um, just to make, his, to make its life uh, easier. So um, there's a, there's a, if, if, you, if you search for the, the Ken Thompson hack, um, his acceptance speech for the ACM Turing Award, he talks about it. Um, but, you know, he was one of the developers of Unix. So, you know, you can't really protect against that 
sort of thing because it's his code, it's his operating system, and you 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 know it's his compiler, and you trusted him, and you trusted the compiler. Um, so that's an example of people building in back doors, but I I do not know of anyone that has deliberately tried to compromise a major open source project. I'm sure that someone will then eventually point out to me on Twitter that there was this and that. But certainly there's there's nothing I know of that has happened to Microsoft projects. It could be more of a a real issue in the, for example if I do a website and I really want to have some simple uh uh, username and password, and I do some hard coding in the code, and I forget don't uh, forget to, to remove it. Or uh, one one uh, common issue right now is to to uh, to 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 have the connection string still in the code when you <laughs> push it to to GitHub. So I, oh, good gosh, yes, <laughs> we've had um, a few issues of that and our customers have had an awful lot of issues for that at one point when i was working in azure security we scanned github looking for users publishing credentials um, and then let them know that this was perhaps a bad idea in asp.net 5 uh, we use environment variables as our default configuration source um, for development purposes we use files that live outside of your development directories so they can't accidentally be checked into github unless you do something really really silly by copying it out of where we create them and changing the way the configuration works and all that sort of things um, but even you know before github was an issue we had people that would turn debug on and publish their debug binaries up to web servers and then you would see full stack traces in error messages, which is never a good idea. So now in ASP.NET 5, our default setting is always production. There's no real concept of release versus debug anymore. We have production and we have development, and these things are configured by an environment variable. Uh, production is configured by not having the environment variable at all. If you want to put development on, you set the environment variable or Visual Studio sets it for you. Um, so even when you deploy your code, because it's an environment variable, the environment variables do not flow with you. You must configure them on your server or on your Azure website through Azure Website's control panel or whatever your hoster's control panel exposes. So we've hopefully stopped that, but there's nothing that we can do to stop people hard coding connection strings in their code and pushing them to GitHub. I would hope that most people realize that there's a a strange idea and they should be using the configuration options that we provide them with because they're safer. Uh, I really want to, to, to discuss more tips and tricks and, and maybe common mistakes that uh, developers do regarding security. So, so, so what's uh, the common mistakes that you see that we as developers do? Well, I see slightly different mistakes than to than, than the ones that, that the, the ordinary developer would see, the ones like SQL injection, which is still the number one problem on websites. There's an organization called OWASP, O-W-A-S-P, and their website is OWASP.org. And every couple of years they go through and they look at the top 10 vulnerabilities of web applications on the internet. 
And it is ridiculously depressing to me that SQL injection is still number one. It's or, really strange. We haven't talked about that for more than 10 years now. The unfortunate thing is the people that we talk to, um, then, you know, they get promoted up. But the new people come in and those new people have not had that discussion because generally security is not taught at universities and colleges. It is something that you discuss when things go horribly wrong. And by that time, it's too late. And uh, WordPress is a very common framework. And I think they have a dynamic SQL in, in their code or something like that. Isn't it so? You can, you can make dynamic SQL secure. Uh, depending on the database backend, you just have to write parameterized. Mm, but I really don't know how how good PHP is at that. I'm I'm I wouldn't like to comment on PHP security because I haven't looked at it in years. So I anything that I say would probably not be accurate for PHP. Uh, and I want to say that I I really don't know either. So maybe it's a, it's a, even more secure than ASP.NET. I don't know. So, I would hope not. I would hope that we. <laughs> okay. I've, I've been telling everyone when we've been writing things, we've taken a lot of the, the new version of ASP.NET has taken a lot of inspiration from Node, and so people said, "Well, this is the way Node does it, so we should do it this way." And my response has always been, "Well, that's fine, but really, we ought to do it better." Certainly, in you know when we're making security decisions, we shouldn't just say, "Well, Framework X does it this way, so we're okay with it." It's like, "Well, okay, so Framework X may do this." But how can we improve upon it? So, so the mission or vision is to, to, to make the most secure framework for, for the web today. Um, that would be my mission. Mm. I'm, uh, I think the ASP.NET team values security, uh, but they also have other concerns like ease of use and performance. And those things usually are at odds with security. So at some point, you know, we have to make decisions about what's more important. Uh, do we make something you know, extremely secure and extremely, extremely hard to break um, and extremely hard for developers to break out of, of of the security barrier? Or do we make it easy for developers to code for? And that's always an interesting balance. We've tried very hard to make it secure by default for developers. So if developers want to become less secure, they have to jump through a bunch of hoops. But we also have to make it usable it's interesting that you say it here is 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 it that the performance uh, will be uh, an issue with security it can be yes yeah. so if you look at um I, I would hope that, that these days your listeners know that we shouldn't be storing passwords in plain text and what we should be doing is we should be storing a salted hash of the password now the more iterations over the hash algorithm that we do, the more secure that hash is, generally speaking. So the more iterations that you do, the longer it takes, and therefore your login procedure takes, you know, takes longer for people to log in. So you could you know, be ridiculously secure and hash things through a million iterations but when it takes five minutes for your users to log in your users have closed their browsers and gone at that point so there is this fine balance between um, making stuff usable for your users and for developers and making it secure 
Okay, now I now I understand what you mean. Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, the list you have with the t ten topmost security issues is it some other of the of the ten that you want to mention here? Um, we we still have at number uh, well. So at number two is, is, is broken authentication and session management, which is usually when people try and write their own. We provide you session management and authentication schemes for good reason. They, you know, we've been doing them for years. It's like encryption. Um, people, some people desperately want to write their own encryption algorithms. And it's incredibly easy to write an encryption algorithm that you yourself cannot break. The hard part is writing an encryption algorithm that other people cannot break because you tend not to see the flaws in your own code. So if a framework provides authentication, authorization, session, um, encryption, you should really prefer the versions in the framework unless you can properly justify it by for example, by saying the uh, the encryption algorithm that we need, that is a standard encryption algorithm, is not in the framework yet. Therefore, we must implement it or use a third-party implementation. So um, uh, the, the learning is that you should always use the infrastructure that is supplied and don't try to write it yourself. Yes, and, and in, in doing so, you also need to remember to keep up to date with patches, just in case there is a bug in that infrastructure. Well, then at least the patch is going to come from the manufacturer, or in open source cases, it might come from other people as a temporary patch until it gets it get it gets merged in. But keeping keeping your machine, your frameworks, your components up to date is incredibly important. A lot of people will use a component and forget that it's there, and then two years down the line, when that component has a, a security bug, nobody knows it's in their system, and when it's exploited, everyone gets confused. Uh, on the other side of the coin, and now we talk about uh, common problems. What, what's, what's your best uh, security tips uh, for developers? What's the mindset they should have? So, I, I hear people, I hear people saying that you know, in order to defend yourself, you should think like an attacker, and that's all very well. But unless you have done the an work attack. of an attacker, yeah. it's very hard to think. I have a bunch of chef's knives at home because I like cooking, but I still cannot cut an onion into uh, the same sized pieces because I don't have chef's knife skills. I have the knife, but I don't have the knowledge and the ability to use the knife in the way that a professional chef would. Although I have asked my other half for a knife skills course for Christmas, so I'm very hopeful that you know within a few months I might actually be able to dice an onion correctly in the way that I see on television when I'm watching cooking shows. Okay, great. <laughs> so I don't think think like an attacker is use is is that useful for the vast majority of people. What I would say is just keep reading. So the OWASP site is really good in that it breaks everything down and it talks about attacks and it talks about defenses. And then, you know, subscribe to a few security podcasts to hear what the latest thing is. Uh, keep an eye on your favorite open source project looking for security issues and then try and figure out why they were a security issue. 
because it's that sort of thing that will enable you to keep continuously learning. And an awful, awful large part of the industry as a whole, not just for security, is continuously learning and keeping yourself up to date. Uh, when we are talking about Azure, we are uh, when we're talking about security, we we have the uh, the the, the chaos, uh, chaos monkey or the Netflix, uh, where you say that we are already compromised. So, um, is this a good thing to have for us? I I, I believe, and Azure has. Maybe you should, you should maybe you should um, elaborate a bit what that's mean first. So, so I, you should you should probably talk to a, a a couple of people in Azure about this more than me, and I can give you those contacts. that would make for an interesting podcast. But the, the the stance that Azure has, and that an awful lot of large companies have, is something called assume breach. So you should assume that there is already an attacker on your network that your data is possibly available, that it's possibly going out to the bad guys, and you should react accordingly. So it's not just a matter of securing your software. You secure the routes in, you monitor the routes out. So you know you should look at how much data is flowing out of your network, and if you see a spike in the data that's flowing out of your network, that may be an indicator that a breach is ongoing and your data is escaping. And then you can take action based upon that. So this is not uh, clippable here for your ASP.NET and so on? No, because we don't, we, don't write, we don't write programs or websites. We write the building blocks for those. But this is, this is one step beyond the building blocks. You need, to look at the, you need to look at everything holistically. So not just the framework that you're using, but what happens after that. And you should be planning for when something goes wrong because it inevitably will. Thank you very much, Barry. And I really hope that you will have a peaceful Christmas this year. So do I. I would like to get some skiing in because finally this year it looks like the ski slopes are decent. Okay. And I really want to... I'm I'm at in Redmond in the end of January, so if I can get uh, some dinner with you with right-sliced onions would be really, really great. <laughs> Fine, but are you going to bring salted licorice for me? <laughs> Maybe. Thank you very right, much, but... Barry. Have Thank you very much. I had Thanks. a bit of a reverse uh, hash um, dust problem here, so oh, dear, I your cat, decided your to be quiet right. instead. <laughs> cool. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi. Wait. I have something more. I just want to celebrate this Christmas by giving you a small Christmas gift from Johan Orlen that says I recorded a new album with piano music only. And uh, he wants, with me, say Happy Holiday. And by playing Frederick Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu, I hope I said it right, I want to say also, have a really, really good year. Bye.